the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Today's edition of the Spot Track Podcast is presented by The Athletic. With winter sports rolling up, college football is hanging on by a thread. The NFL is pushing into Week 10. The MLB offseason is here. Trade candidates are available on SpotTrack.com and The Athletic, of course. The Athletic has all the greatest long, short, big-time stories, podcasts, and live commentary now, which is really neat, really great. Get the app, ad-free, get 40% off your first year. Visit theathletic.com slash track S-P-O-T-R-A-C. Save for the first year. Check it out. You're going to love it. You're going to be addicted to it. It's going to be the first place you go every single morning. Good Thursday morning. My name is Mike Gennetti. We are going to have two really fun guests today. Cousin Dan, welcome back. A little bit of baseball talk, a little spontaneous baseball talk. He's got some pretty good data and a pretty good theory with, uh, you know, let's just say it's been confirmed by the source, the source itself. So uh, check that out. And then Michael Fabiano, the fantasy football expert, Sports Illustrated. You can check him out, si.com slash fantasy. He's on Sirius XM, the Fantasy Dirt Show. He's all over the place, literally all over the board. He's ranking players and teams every single week, doing the dirty work that uh, helps us become better fantasy football players. And we need it more than ever this year because it's been a crazy 2020, only getting worse as we go along, of course. I'm going to start here. The Masters starts today. The weather doesn't look good. I'm just going to give you my pick. I put the odds out there on Twitter a couple days ago. You know, we've all kind of done our homework on it, if you care. Xander Shoffley's my pick. That's it. That's the Masters coverage I'm giving you today, all right? Uh, we have Major League Baseball trade candidates on SpotTrack.com right now. I've got 20 of them, and I feel pretty good about at least half. Obviously, there's a couple of there that would be complete blockbuster moves, I'm not going to bury the lead, but there's a, you know, a couple of decent starting pitchers on this list that I think from a contractual standpoint and just look, it's time to bring in some, some prospects and kind of rebuild and reflip and, you know, small markets tend to work that way. So check that out. Let me know what you think at SpotTrack on Twitter. Here's what I'm going to do real quick for an open. We are a numbers website. This is a numbers podcast. I like to go and look at other people's numbers too. I'm going to run across a couple of metrics from the NFL just let you know where things stand. So Numberfire does their team rankings where they project their nerd rating. It's kind of a way to say, you know, it's kind of like a war across the board for, from a team standpoint. How are the players producing? How's the schedule look? All that good stuff. You know how, the, how this stuff works by now. You know, the usual suspects are at the top. The Ravens, the Chiefs, the Steelers, the Bucks, the Packers, the Saints. Fine. There's a team, though, ranked third right now that I want you to pay attention to. Because they're going to come up in, our, in my next set of rankings as well. It's the Rams. The Rams are third in nerd rankings right now, according to Numberfire. They're third. By the way, spoiler alert, the Jets are last. That's going to be a theme here as well. Check out Numberfire.com. Check out their power rankings. That's what I'm talking about here. Just pay attention to the Rams. Because they've kind of been that, uh, that kid in the back of the room who doesn't really you know, raise his hand and answer a lot of questions. But you know he knows his stuff. And, uh, you know, Jared Goff's just had a bye week. They're going to be a little bit healthier. They haven't even un unleashed their rookie running back cam makers or their rookie wide receiver Van Jefferson yet, in my opinion. They've got two good tight ends. We know what that defense can be. You know, Aaron Donald on the front, Jalen Ramsey on the back. It just feels like maybe it's their time of year. Maybe it's that time to start progressing. Now, it's gonna, they're on a tough schedule. You know, there's a lot of things against them, of course, right now. But there's a reason they're here. They're third in this list. They're not ninth, right? Barely, you know, barely on the outside looking into the playoff contention. They're third. 
All right? And they are the first NFC team on this list. They're ahead of Tampa. They're ahead of Green Bay. They're ahead of New Orleans. They're ahead of Arizona. You know, the teams a lot of people are talking about right now. Just maybe something to think about as we move forward here into week 10. And this season kind of gets real now, right? DVOA. Okay. Again, football outsiders, sort of their war ranking. They've been doing this for a long time. This has become a really well-constructed stat. You know, a lot of really smart people like to look at this, at least know where, where it stands. You know, none of these stats should be one and done. None of these should be, this is what, we, what we're going off of. This is how we think it looks. But here's your DVOA leaders. Saints, Bucks, Chiefs, Steelers, Ravens. Rams are ninth. Okay, so in this list, they are on the outside kind of peeking into that top tier. All right, Seattle's eighth, all offense. You know it. It's all offense. That's not how the Rams are, though, right now. All right? The Rams got a lot of things going for them right now. They just do. Now, defensively, they've taken a couple of steps back. They've had bad weeks. All right, they let the Bills kind of run all over them. They let a couple of good teams kind of run all over them. All, all these teams are having that. Tampa Bay just got a, had a truck run over them. Kansas City had the Raiders run right over them. All right? Everybody but Pittsburgh has at least been lambasted once. And Pittsburgh's is coming. They're not running the table. All right? And it's going to be, uh, you know, one of those random big, you know, big spread games where they just get trounced. And it's going to happen. But the Rams are right there. You take away two of their games, which I think it's perfectly legitimate to do every single season. And I think they're higher on a lot of these lists, especially the, uh, you know, the talking point lists, because they're certainly not anywhere in that one. So where are they in our list? Because we track value. We track, we track production, some advanced analytics of all the players, we, and we can add them up, and we give you a team number, right? It's not just a team based on wins, and, you know, wins are a factor, but it's wins plus how much money they have, you know, they're spending this year, plus the individual grades of all of their players. So where, are, where, where do people fall, where do teams fall in terms of our 2020 TVS rankings? Well, money, when money matters the Rams are going to be a negative, all right? And that's just unfortunate because the Rams not only paid current players, but they had to let a bunch of players walk. They've got a ton of dead cap into Gurley, into Cooks, into Matthews, just to name a few. They've got new cap hits for Ramsey, for Cup, for Woods, just to name a few. And they brought back a couple of players as well. And certainly Goff is way up there. They're eighth. In value, they're eighth. They've got $195 million of, of cap allocated this year, and they're the eighth best value at five and three. They're five and three, just like the Cardinals. They cost a little bit more than the Cardinals. They are neck and neck with the Cardinals in our ranking. So if you're talking about Arizona, you have to be talking about the Rams too. I understand Kyler Murray is way more dynamic and fun to watch than Jared Goff. It's not even close. But in terms of winning and in terms of the ability to win in 2020, I think those two teams have to be tied together. They just do. In terms of value, the Bucks are ninth. The Bucks have paid a lot of dough to Brady, to Gronk, to Evans. You know, there's money out there. That defense has been upgraded, you know, somewhat significantly. Same goes for the Titans, who are right there in this conversation as well. 215 in cap, okay? Third most cap in all of football. Obviously, Tannehill, Derrick Henry, Clowney, Bayard. Okay, big contracts on there. Their time is coming. Okay, if I had to pick two teams to watch, one from the NFC and one from the AFC, based on strength of schedule, the ability to run the ball because the weather's coming, it's coming on the East Coast, it's here. It's 40 degrees where I'm sitting right now in Buffalo. 
I'm telling you right now, it's going to be the Titans in the, in the AFC and it's going to be the Rams in the NFC. Not teams to go to the Super Bowl, not teams to win it all, just teams to watch. And if you're fantasy owners, and we're going to talk more about with this with Michael Fabiano, you know, who to kind of look out for here the rest of the way, I'd be targeting those teams because Jared Goff might be out there in your waiver wire right now. All right. And he's going to be able to throw the ball. He's going to be able to throw the ball. He knows these weapons inside and out. Same with Tannehill now. All right. This offense has had a good year and a half to really come to fruition, come together. They obviously put it together the second half of last season. There's no reason they shouldn't be able to. If you look at their schedule, they shouldn't be able to do it again in 2020. Okay. Mediocre teams on that schedule. Derrick Henry has yet to really give us that big, big game. It's coming. It's coming for sure. They're going to let, they're going to take the chains off of him and let him, let him roll soon. And the, uh, you know, the A.J. Brown, Corey Davis situation has been nice. And John o. Smith's been a disappointment up to this point. It's all going to happen. It's all going to come. Tannehill's able to run that offense very, very well. That's a smart coach. That's a run-first team. The defense has got to come up a little bit, but they will. Titans in the AFC, Rams in the NFC, based on a bunch of advanced metrics that we compile, but also your number fire rankings and your DVOA rankings. Just keep an eye out there, all right? All right, let's bring in Cousin Dan, talk a little baseball, then we'll get to Michael Fabiano, hit up some fantasy notes, and get out of here. Very special edition of Bitter and Pissed, brought to you by Cousin Dan. Dan, what do you got for me this morning? I hear it's, uh, I don't know, a little bit of angst about the Cy Young, which I, I made note of last night. We'll talk about the winners and how they rank financially in a little bit here. But what do you have on, uh, on our old buddy Trevor Bauer? Yeah, so... Um I mean, I brought my tinfoil hat for this one. So, but no, no, just, all, all kidding aside, though, I, did, I messaged you this morning and said, I, I just flat out can't believe more people aren't talking about the transformation of Trevor Bauer. And I, I mean that in a good way, but I also mean that in a um, skeptical way as well, based on, um, you know, his past, his past comments and um, basically how that translated to this year. So to back up what I'm talking about is um, specifically spin rate, his um, increased spin rate this year, um, RPMs, rotations per minute drastically affects um, a pitcher's performance. It's been, it's been proven. It's a lot of what the driveline guys do. do and um, Trevor Bauer is, is um, an expert at it, if you will, in my opinion, um, he's been, he's been talking about it for numerous years before um, the majority of the industry was really on board or even baseball itself was on board with it. So um, yeah, back up Dan, because it kind of preface the driveline stuff because he's not just involved. He basically runs and owns the thing, correct? Well, he's um, he's probably their biggest um, like advocate. I'm not sure if he's, I know he's affiliated with them. I'm not sure if he like specifically carries like the driveline name. Um, I'm not sure if that, Basically, it's performance training, but it's data-driven stuff, right? So it's it's sit down, it's look at the tapes, but also, you know, how can you move your fingers left or right, up or down on the ball to 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 generate spin rate, to generate you know movement on a normal four-seam fastball? They get down and dirty inside the science of it all, right? And, and he's certainly a fan of it, but I I do believe he's invested after a couple of HBO pieces I've seen on it. So look at he. He nerds out on this stuff. There's no question, but you think it maybe there may be another level to it, right? So, I mean, let's let's back up all the way to trade deadline 2017. The Astros trade for Justin Verlander, who at the time looked like his career might be over. They trade for him, and um, he goes there, and he's pretty much lights out the end of 2017 and um, and 2018. Same thing, in, in a, another incredible year when he looked like he was washed. 
Um, also, the file, after that 2017 trade, de- trade deadline, they had acquired Garrett Cole in the mm-hmm. offseason as well. So 2018 was really this massive breakout for Verlander, who looked like he was done, and Garrett Cole, who had a ton of potential, and um, the pedigree was there, but he just really never put it together in Pittsburgh, whether that was a development thing or what. But um, Also, on the heels of Dallas Keuchel finally showing form. I mean, it was kind of like three straight seasons of a pitcher kind of either regaining or just completely breaking out into a whole new level. So, yeah, there's, right. there's something add, to it. And you can add Charlie Morton in there. Too. Fair. Charlie Morton yes. was, what, 30, 30, 31, something like that at the time. And all of a sudden he is, um, you know, after a long track record of um, underperforming, mm-hmm. he just puts out an incredible year, which then tra- I, I think to back up even more, what we're trying to talk about is how this kind of stuff can a- affect contracts. And Charlie Morton is a is a perfect um, example of that. And then Garrett Cole coming down the line as well. So I, I know I'm getting a little ahead of myself here, but um, they, they have been using that stuff um, and it seems to have been working for them. And it tra- ultimately will hopefully translate into a better contract for somebody. So they trade for Verlander, they trade for Cole 2018 is an incredible year. And Bauer starts really explicitly hinting at irregularities with the advanced numbers out of specifically Astros pitchers. Um, If anyone followed this on Twitter, they went back and forth. Specifically, Bregman and Bauer seemed to hate each other, and um, there was a lot of back and forth with that. And um, then we fast forward now to this past offseason where the whole Astros garbage can cheating scandal comes out, right? And Bauer sort of, I don't want to say takes a victory lap, but sort of says, I told you so to everybody. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the things he had been saying in prior years were, were confirmed. Now, whether the specifics of it were, you know, if he had that stuff all nailed down, I'm not 100% sure on that. But he was at least, him and Mike Clevenger were two of the first to start saying, like, there's some funny stuff going on here. And one of the things that Bauer specifically pointed out was spin rate. Now, Having said all of that, after the Astros' punishment or lack thereof with the players came out, Bauer was pretty vocal about about hammering on the league, hammering on the commissioner about how the players didn't, you know, they here he had been saying for numerous years that these guys are likely cheating. They're proven to have cheated, and they're caught red-handed, and the players still deny, deny, deny that they had that they that there was anything nefarious going on there, right? So. In my eyes, Bauer took that as, um, you know, conviction that, I mean, he almost explicitly said it's almost like cheating is allowed or that he predicted many, many players in the league are doing something similar in terms of foreign substances to increase spin rate, things like that, right? So in my opinion, you know, after all of that happened, he was more enlightened to maybe try and tinker with some stuff that, you know, he, he, he's, he's sitting there saying these guys are cheating. They're caught cheating. Not essentially nothing is done about the cheating. So from his perspective, maybe why not get on board with that? And you can really see the numbers. I mean, he absolutely broke out this year. Um, I, I don't want to take anything away from him. He works incredibly hard and maybe they, him and the driveline guys just unlock some key to success. <laughs> but if you, if you really look at the numbers, um, I'm looking the, right uh, now. We're, I mean, yeah, we're so talking said, about like a 400 RPM increase. Yes. Yeah, so specifically one thing I saw on Twitter 
from so, so like league league average RPMs is like in the in the two thousand four hundred right. area, so somewhere in there, right? So from twenty fifteen when Bauer really started pitching a lot in the majors until August of of last year, right before he got traded, in his entire career of pitches over 2,800 RPMs, which is a significant increase from league average. He had thrown five pitches with, with that. Okay. So in over four, about four years of baseball, he threw five pitches with an RPM of over 2,800. Since that time, September of last year, until the end of this year, he had 575 pitches of over (laughs) 2800 rpms which to me i mean like to put all these to put all these little variables together it seems to me like he was like you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna do what i think other players are doing and i'm gonna see if i get caught of course he didn't get caught and literally no one is even talking uh, like certain fantasy guys and like advanced analytic guys that i follow are talking about this stuff but like i watch mlb network and they're just talking about what an incredible season he put together which is totally true but it's it's like the elephant in the room to me that nobody is talking about how he has been calling this stuff out and he he almost said in the offseason, if you're not going to do anything about it, I'm going to go ahead and do it my do do what I need to do too. And here he is in a contract season, about to cash in. You know whether it's you know due to COVID stuff, if it's only going to be one year, or if this is like a precedent, he gets a multi-year contract. However that pans out, it just seems too good to be true here. And knowing like how he trolls Rob Manfred, the Astros, the league for being archaic and like not being able to keep up with times, punishments, et cetera, et cetera. I almost don't see how he, I I don't even want to say cheated. I just want to see how he did not introduce foreign substances into his, you know, repertoire. If, if that's, you know, if that's what he thought would put him over the edge and here he is dominant season, Cy Young award winner. I mean, good for him. If he tested the limits, I just, you know, color me skeptical if uh, I'm going to take that all at face value. So February 12th, 2020. What is that, 10 months ago? 10 months ago. Exactly 10 months ago. He writes himself in the Players' Tribune, an article he submits himself. Quote, I've been chasing spin rate since 2012, and for eight years I've been trying to figure out how to increase my spin. I haven't found any other way except to use foreign substances. He wrote this himself, Dan. That's what I mean, dude. It is all on... He, he has explicitly said it. You know, it's not even like... Wait, the next paragraph. The, the next paragraph says, I would guess 70% of pitchers are using a substance and baseball will never address this problem because there's so many people doing it. I paraphrase that. But not only did right. he say this is the only way to, to increase spin rate, but he thinks 70% of the league is doing it and baseball is just turning their cheek. So right. everything you're saying has to be true. And I don't think he gives a damn. And it sounds like nobody really gives a damn. To, to, to your point with the Astros, because you're right, there were some specific quotes, and he says it right here. He says the Astros, in, in sort of Patriots form, right, just figured out how to weaponize it. They figured out how to use, how to find the guys that would increase the most in terms of RPM if they, if they use the substance, you know, uh, accepted cheating. But it's, you're right. It, it, you know, not every pitcher can go in there and, and turn into a Cy Young winner just because of a substance. But the, that's what the GMs and the front offices in Houston have been doing. They've been finding pitchers who maybe just lost a step 
or, or needed one, you know, one or two more little elements to get over the hump. And that's exactly what we just talked about with Keuchel, with Cole, with Morton. Uh, th- these are those exact candidates, exceptional pitchers who just needed a little bit of an edge. Bauer's exactly in that category, isn't he? I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And, and I will, I will check you on the no one cares mentality well. be- because <laughs> no, no, no. I, he I just won the Cy Young and I haven't heard anybody else talking about it. Well, no. So you're right. What I, what I want, the only reason I want to leave a door open for, for this conversation Maybe it's because I'm an Indians homer, but I want to believe <laughs> That's a that, fair there is, that there is some court, that there is some timeline coincidence between Bauer leaving and his spin rates ballooning. No, no, no. It's free agency, Dan. It's all about, it's all about the paycheck. It's all about the paycheck. You, 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 pref- and, you preface this perfectly. The guys who, the guys who did this either were in an or- organization that were doing this as a whole, like the, like clearly the Astros have been, and I'm not even going to blame them, or it's just somebody like Ryan Braun, right, or Robbie Cano, who are coming up against big-time paydays and said, you know what, if I pump my numbers up 5 10% more, I'll get $25 million more minimum. It's just it's just how baseball's been for the last 30 years, right? Well, that's totally right. I guess my, my what I was trying to say mostly is that why didn't he do it the years, you know, he's been calling this out for several years in Cleveland. Is there, is there a coincidence that he gets traded out of Cleveland and then starts this stuff in Cincinnati at the end of last year? You know what I mean? You're right on the, it was probably motivated by, by money and numbers and I'm going to prove everyone wrong or right. Actually, let's talk about this because he's a really interesting case study for this because any other normal free agent, I'd be all in on this conversation, but He's the same guy out there saying, I want a one-year contract. So how does that translate, right? Is he just saying, I want $40 million this year because I just want to Cy Young and I'm the best pitcher available? Why isn't he asking for $250 million? I mean, it's a good point. I guess I sort of argued against myself there. But I think an, an underrated element of this is is he wants to be right. Do you know what I mean? Like, he, all of the, okay. dom, all of the dominoes were lied up, lined up for him to – to make a run at proving to, to pointing out the hip hop. Wait, he's not going to commit career suicide here just to prove the point. No, I don't think so. And, and, and Mike, if anyone did even ask him, I think you, you would get the, the half slant and so bring too. the answer out of him. But I think his, his track record of comments on the record have pretty much given us the answer. In my opinion, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he's I'm never gonna, been, I'm going to tweet this article out. It's, it's phenomenal. Yeah, there's a few uh, screenshots I can I can add to that to support the case. But yeah, I, I, I guess as a whole, I mean, to answer your question, money wise, like I, I think he will go longer in term and in sacrifice. No, sorry, scratch that. I think he will take more money and sacrifice term no matter what. Um, I think this kind of year drives up his value, whether you're talking about a sure. one-year deal for X amount or a five-year deal for X amount. Do you know what I mean? I don't, I don't think there was a, when you win a Cy Young, it's, there's like a no-lose situation. Now, what you're saying is, should he parlay that into a long-term multi-year deal? Anyone else some, would. Anyone else would. But Yeah, I hear some, I've heard some people might be skeptical to dive right in, though, at following the one, I mean, really, we've talked about this on previous podcasts. Before this year, he, I mean, 2017 was a really good season for him, but I mean, beyond that, he has been, you know, league average or below it statistically. So 
Um, I mean, some people might not totally believe here he is at his age 29 season that he finally broke through and he's this stud pitcher and this is going to, you know, carry on moving forward. But so some people, I I guess to paint a broad stroke, I think some people might want to see it beyond this 60 game kind of crazy season for somebody to really give him a long-term deal. But um, yeah, it's totally on the table. Yeah. But if look, the Padres are offering multi-year. The Angels are offering multi-year. I mean, they're just – they need pitchers so bad. If this is the guy on the market, you, you know, you're going to make the offer. But do you know what I mean about career suicide? Like, he's not that into this right now, right? I mean, he's not to a point where somebody hands him $150 million guaranteed and then he goes and stops doing this purposely to then have the perfect case test to say, look, six months ago, my spin was this. Now it's not. And – this is how much it matters because now I'm three and eight with a five seven ERA, right? Right. Gotcha. I think I misinterpreted what you were trying to get. Right. No, no, I get it. And no. what, what I'm saying no. is crazy talk because I don't know why any professional athlete with a competitive nature would do it. But the things he's saying out loud, it kind of at least put that conversation in the back of my mind. Like, is this guy going to be the one to try to rip up baseball? Like, is he gonna, is he going to blow in? Is he going to be the Mike Fires of of this of this? you know, element of, of this impropriety, I guess, because if 70% of the pitchers are doing it, does that mean Shane Bieber's doing it, Dan? Because Shane Bieber's now a, a product of Trevor Bauer, the other Cy Young winner here, right? Who, I mean, and who knows? Who knows? Um, like I said, maybe the Indians, maybe there's a stigma in the Indians organization <laughs> yeah. where he didn't yeah. think he could get away with that. But as soon as he leaves, he, you know, I, I don't know. And, and I, I shouldn't speculate on that point, but it is, it is, it is a fair, yeah, you know, analyzation. So, but no, I, I don't think he will. I don't think like hypothetically he signs with the angels two years. I don't think he goes to the angels and says, ha ha. I just got a bunch of money. Look what I did last year. If anything, I think he just continues doing this until someone, until somebody steps in because he saw last year. And even if somebody steps in, he, he's going to say, how is that cheating? But the Astros are not cheating. Do you know what I mean? Like this, they, there's a precedent there that he can basically say that he feels, you know, enabled. He to, feels to safe this. because if they if they suspend him, he's gonna tell he's gonna he's gonna bring his data, his driveline data on every other pitcher in the league and say, well, explain this and explain this and show me this and show me this. right. I mean, he's gonna he's gonna go crazy, right? Precisely, exactly. So I think he milks this for all it's worth. But you can bet you can bet that he will be vocal post-career in my opinion. I mean, I know I'm getting 10 years ahead here, but so he, Mike, he, Michael Pineda, Dan got popped 10 games for a pine tar. Okay. 10 games. You know how much Trevor Bauer would lose in 10 games on an $80 million contract? Nothing. The answer is nothing. Right. <laughs> that, that's the point. That's why Robbie Cano, you, you know, did PEDs and then got $240 million. That's the point. Like, one percent of two hundred million is still pretty damn good. So you know, I'm not saying Trevor Bauer is cheating for money. He he absolutely seems completely the opposite to me. I mean, it's to me, it's not about the money. It's about the nerdiness, the science of it. That's way that's way more of how I see Trevor Bauer as an athlete. I, I like. Tr- oh, I'm sorry to cut you. I, I was gonna say I I really liked your New England comparison yeah. there of like 
pushing the limits of rules until they get walked back. And I think that is exactly what is going on here. That's the best way for but, me to explain. But even so, has, has the NFL even come down hard enough on New England to stop them from winning? No. <laughs> Zero times. Zero times. They just no, won a Super right. Bowl it, two years ago. So it's the same situation. Bauer can continue to do this. And even if it gets popped, it's still going to be worth it to push the envelope because 400 RPMs gets so much more whiff, whiff rate, right? It improves your whiff rate so much more, your swing and miss rate, that you, you, it turns an average pitcher into an almost elite pitcher. That's the threshold. It's crazy. So I, I, unless they come down hard and change the game like they tried to do with, you know, with home runs and, and, and hitting, I, I guess that'll be it, right? Like if, if pitchers start doing this to the point of where it becomes, they become so dominant across the board and home runs are down, that's when baseball's going to have to step in because they, they want nothing more than home runs in this league right now. Right. And, and then, though, mark my words, if that does happen, they'll be the first to play stupid. Like, they knew nothing about of this course. league wide. You know, like, of, of course, the, you know, this has been going on and we're going to play stupid and it's the players. The problem the is, though, the Dan, coaches. the problem is with this one is it's not like the steroid era where you could just look at the stats and see that Brady Anderson had nine home runs and then 51 home runs and just assume you know what I mean? Like, we all just have to sort of assume, oh, guess what happened that offseason? There's actual data with this. It took you eight seconds to send me a screenshot of Trevor Bauer's five, last five years of spin rate. This stuff all exists, and it exists inside of Trevor Bauer's driveline company, right? Right. I know, I know private entities have this yes. information. That's why it's powerful so, now, right? if and when this comes to the surface, there's going to be books and articles and TED Talks and whatever you want to say with actual data and actual like proof to say, hey, guess what? There's no other human way for a graph to go from here to here than this right here. We have now, you know, tons and tons of data and proof. So it's going to be a little bit stickier, you know, <laughs> pun intended. Um, you know, th <laughs> this versus the home run debacle, the, the, you know, the juiced ball debacle and all that. But man, super interesting stuff. I'm going to tweet out this uh, this Players Tribune article where Power basically comes right out in our faces and says, guess what, guys? I'm about to do this in a month because I want to get paid a little bit of money, and this this is the absolute best way to do it. And guess what? It worked because he just won the Cy, <laughs> Cy Young last night. Dan, good stuff. I want to quickly whip through my trade deadline article with you just really quickly, kind of like rapid fire, and just get yeah, your, sure, get your thoughts. Yeah, because I, I, I do think we're going to see an uptick in this because teams are trying to shed some salary and at least get cheaper across the board. And if you can get a retained salary trade, you're going to do it right now. So, for instance, Chris Bryant, just give me one to ten gone. Go, go, go you know, stay as one. Ten is gone. Chris Bryant. Um. Uh, really? I am a, I am a little split on this, but I'll say I'll say seven gone. Really? See, I, I started there because I thought it'd be a softball. You you think the Cubs like what they are right now, huh? Um, no, but I could see them wanting to retool a little bit. I, I, I the, the, that team just feels very flat to me, you know, like they had no expectations coming in. I mean, also, I'm not looking at anything. This is totally, this is totally gut, um, off the, off the gut here, but, sure. um, yeah, the, the team just felt totally flat last year. They had no expectations. They came into the year with one of the worst bullpens and they, by all means, surprise people, but they've had they've had that core for the better part of four years now, four or five years, and it, and I could see them wanting to move on and 
maybe Brian is the piece. So um, I'm not convinced of it. I, I could see him being there, but there's almost too much smoke to, to not be a fire there in my opinion. Yeah, I just think one, maybe even two of these of these uh, aged out vet, uh, you know, I guess, well, not veterans, essentially, they're all kind of under control still. But, you know, the Schwarbers, even Javi Baez could be on the trade block, Wilson Contreras. It, it just seems like a few of those those pieces probably have to go, number one, to get a little cheaper. And number two, because they do not only do, do they need a, a whole bullpen, bullpen overhaul, but Lester's out. Um, you know, I think they might trade Quintana. I, I, I do. I do think there's probably some pieces to move here that they need to rebuild the the, the arms as well. So uh, I, I say I I say Brian too, like almost hoping for the player because I think he needs a me new, too. A new a fresh look because I mean he's been passed around between left field and third base. He's never really like settled into a position. He's had some some fluky type injuries. So I I don't know. I just think a change of scenery would do him good. I so put, I put for, and in very different contexts, I put Chris Bryant and Nolan Arenado in very similar situations where it just seems like they've run their course in their current organizations. That's it. Good players. I think a change of pace for both works. And I, I really do think both those players go. Truly, they go. And I, and I think they might both go to the National League East, to be honest with you. Um, Frankie Lindor, your boy, he's out. Yeah, definitely gone. Um, I, we briefly discussed this offline, but I, I really think and sort of want for me and you for him to go to the Mets. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I don't see. I mean, we've seen this with the Indians. It's a small market team. It, it's pretty frustrating. But once that, you know, the rumor mill gets swirling with one of your players in there, it, that that it they're all but gone because of financial reasons. You know, we saw this with Jan Gomes a couple of years ago. We saw this with Clevenger last year. Now we're seeing it with Lindor. There's probably going to be. Well, let's, let's keep talking about it because they, they traded Kluber. So. They traded Bauer. They traded Clevenger. Uh, you know, Lindor's almost definitely gone in about six weeks or so. Do they keep going? I mean, is Carlos Carrasco out the door as well? Are they just going to go young here? I... I don't think they're in a rush to get rid of him, but depending on where they see development with a couple of their, their next in line pitchers, I know it seems like and the endless list of next in line pitchers, but um, I could see them moving on just purely, purely from a financial standpoint. I mean, he's beloved in Cleveland with, with the leukemia and yeah. everything. He is beloved there and people, will not want to see him go, but he is slated to be like the second highest paid player next year behind Lindor. So, um, and it, by all accounts, the Indians are really, really trying to cut money. So hate to see it, but it, it, it just seems too likely right now. Do they have enough in terms of, uh, uh starting pitching to, to be able to lose a guy like that right now? So this year, I think would be, it would be tough. That's why I'm a little bit, uh, I, I lean no to Carrasco, but I think it's definitely on the table, but um, they have, I mean, the Indians like have a ton of still young pitchers that people listening to this have never heard about. Yeah. Um, e Ethan Hankins guys like that at Daniel Espino. There's a number of very high pedigree, high talent kind of guys that should hopefully arrive in the majors in the next couple of years. So um, I think Tristan McKenzie last year was a, a major linchpin. They wanted to see what they had in him. Um, I mean, part of that was because of injuries and, and this, the Savali and, or I'm sorry, the Mike, Zach Plesak and yeah. Mike Clevenger. Yeah, the COVID deal, stuff, but, right. Right, he got, he got injected in the lineup maybe a little earlier than they thought, but they saw that he is he's pretty much MLB ready, we think. So, um, I mean, you add him, you have Plesak, Savali, him, 
Bieber. I mean, you still have a real nice top four there in there. And you add a, you maybe you add a cheap free agent guy, which the Indians are pretty good, have been pretty good at doing. Um, and yeah, I, I think it would be a rough year next year pitching wise, but I mean, beyond they're, they're pretty loaded. So I, I wouldn't, um, it's kind of a place of strength to be, to be dealing from. Are Milwaukee buyers or sellers? Um, good question. They, I want them to be buyers, but that might go a little bit against the grain. Um, I think you get Lorenzo Kane back next year. Mm-hmm. That's a big, that's a big deal. Um, Asval Garcia had a nice year. You still have a decent offense. I mean, Tyra, uh, Christian Yelich, you have a number of good pieces in that offense and that bullpen is pretty easily the best in baseball. So you have a breakout from Corbin Burns, um, Brandon Woodruff, another stellar season. I I want to see them be buyers, kind of, but you're not even mentioning Devin Williams. <laughs> well, rookie, that's the rookie of the year, <laughs> right? Probably right, and that's what I mean. Their bullpen is is whew, scary. Okay, so the name I have in this list, Dan, is Hater, um, who has been solid but steadily declining as relievers do. It's just kind of how the numbers work now. He's going to get a little bit more expensive this year before he comes up. Is this the time to move on from Josh Hader? You know, is a team like Philadelphia, uh, you know, or the Cubs we just mentioned, are they are they ready to pounce on a guy like this right now? They, uh, I mean, definitely interest around the league. Milwaukee selling under my assumption or under my hope that they're buyers. I think that they should probably sell him. Um, and I say that to the you know tongue-in-cheek because you're you're subtracting from the bullpen i just said was scary good but you would get a massive haul whether it's prospects or mlb player ready players that so that's a move where maybe you get out from a guy who might be you might have seen his best days already and you know get a haul for him and kind of rebuild on the fly there i think that's exactly right because of what they have in that bullpen you know they'll take a step back but they can. I think they can still make it work, especially over a long season where there'll be some ebbs and flows. I think they have enough to withstand that kind of a move. Yeah, optically it w- might look like a step back, but on the field they might not lose a beat. I mean, right. they they got some arms there. So, if you had to buy a Pittsburgh Pirates jersey right now, <laughs> could you name could you name four Pittsburgh Pirates right now, Dan? Um. Yes, I could, but that's mostly because of my uh, DFS um, delinquency. Addiction. But, but yeah, I mean, um, I'm, I I like Josh Bell a lot there. He's a cool player, but um, yeah. I'm I, pretty I, sure he's gone. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, then fair enough. Um, I mean, but, it's Polanco, but he's not going to be on the field. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. In Brian Reynolds and Kevin Newman. They're 100% like going to trade Joe Musgrove, in my opinion, because there's too many teams that need the arm. I, I I mean, this could be this could be a forty-five million dollar payroll. Unbelievably. Interesting. Yeah. Who would be the highest paid guy there? I'm not. Well, it's Polanco at eleven right now, but I mean, he's going to be either you know injured listed or I guess thrown into a trade somewhere, maybe as a as just a salary dump. I mean, if you're going to go down, go all the way down. Do the be the Orioles of twenty twenty. Man, Polanco eleven mil. Man, caught him. (laughs) Right. I'm I'm kidding, but maybe trade him. But yeah, wow. Yeah, you probably you might have to try to throw him into the Musgrove trade as just a salary dump, you know. Um, yeah, that team's in trouble, and like I said, they probably need to go all the way down right now and acquire some draft picks and all that. Oh, acquire draft picks, bring in some prospects and good things like that on the market wherever they can do it. 
you know, a team that certainly doesn't need to do that based on what we just saw. But I think s- sort of in the vein of Milwaukee, and we can finish on this, Dan, am I uh, a complete moron for putting Blake Snell in this trade candidate conversation? Oh, um, I mean, I think it, it was probably one of your more unlikely names to get moved, but um, man, I don't put anything past the Rays. I, just how they operate. That's how I feel and, too. And I and I I don't say that negatively. I think they know what they're doing, and I, I you know I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, small market. They never spend because they do it efficiently and effectively every time. You know, they've been relevant for how long with seemingly zero superstars you can count besides maybe Evan Longoria, but. Um, yeah, uh, interesting, interesting name there. I would, I would obviously lean no, but th- that's the popular opinion. So I, I, I credit you for putting it out there. It's as easy as this. It's not clickbait. It's as easy as this. You know, they keep a sixty million dollar payroll. That's kind of the number that that I've assessed over the past five or so seasons. Snell's salary jumps four and a half million dollars this year. You know, over ten. Ten is generally that that hot number. Now they've kept Kiermaier on that number, but I think there's a little bit more of an attachment to that. It, it, it can't be at least it can't be totally thrown in, in, into the garbage can what happened in that World Series, right? I mean, Blake Snell's got to have some angst. There's no question, right? I mean, he looks at other pitchers that are stretched out. I mean, look at the look at the innings Bauer just got to get to the finish line here in terms of his Cy Young. That was Snell a couple of years ago, it really. I mean, and he took this this crazy Indians like contract, right? <laughs> that he's got to deal with for a few more years now. I just think he probably sees other organizations as a better fit for him in terms of a full, you know, full-time starting pitcher. Not to mention, do the Rays want to take on ten this year, twelve next year, fourteen after that? Probably not. That's just not how they operate. So I, I don't know. I don't think it's that crazy, Dan. Especially for what they could get for him right now with three years of term left. Right, right. I was gonna say I could maybe see that being like a let's let's see what he develops into this year like maybe they maybe they go into 21 trying to ride him like an ace to see and then you know what oh it, does, it didn't work <laughs> well we deal you with two two years left but i mean the more i look at it it does make sense it just financially you know who who knows what they're always doing there so it's crazy it's crazy to say this under. though right because blake snell for ten and a half million dollars is just bonkers bargain can you imagine the Dodgers with that with that contract no I mean, that's right. you know, Clayton Kershaw was a third of his production this year and is making 33 million. That's just it's just crazy. The differences between big market and small market in this league right now. And I do think this offseason, we're going to see that come towards the middle a little bit, at least. So, you know, does a team want to shell out three prospects for Blake Snell on that contract? You got to at least make the call. Like if you're the Padres or the Angels, you got to call. You got to call. You need pitching this bad. And you've got a lot of young, a lot of youth. You know, Joe Adele it would would be pretty darn nice in the Tampa uniform. Don't you agree with that? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah but, I look for I will look forward to the inevitable blockbuster trade of the offseason being Blake Snell. And now that you put it out there, so. yeah, <laughs> it at least makes a little bit of sense. It's not crazy. All right, good stuff, man. We'll uh, we'll see if this Bauer stuff gains some traction because I'm certainly interested in it. Like I said, yeah, it, go ahead. Just. Just no, just something I wanted to point out. I, I had said to you this morning. I just wanted to point it out. Like, wow, I can't believe like he has been pretty explicit about it, and nobody is acknowledging it. So, we'll see what comes of it. Typical baseball, right? All right, good stuff, For man. Sure. Thanks, Mike. Joined in the Hip Rate Hotline by Michael Fabiano, the fantasy football expert. There's no better way to put it, really. Michael, thanks for joining us. Welcome back to the show. 
Uh, My pleasure. It's been an interesting year, right? Like, why don't you break it down a little bit? I, I mean, the COVID stuff, obviously, uh, you know, an uptick of injuries, which we all kind of expected. Uh, you know, what's your sense? Are, are we in an okay place or are we maybe getting to a point where we may jump off a cliff here? Uh, well, I'll tell you this, as it pertains to the NFL, like they're bulldozing through everything, right? And, and I know that earlier on in the season, the talk was having uh, an abundance of caution. I, I'm sure they're still trying to be cautious, but I feel like they're trying to get through the season at this point, right? I mean, we've seen some situations where maybe – uh, caution wasn't at the forefront. I remember when Cam Newton had been tested positive for COVID and New England played that week and it was a game against the Chiefs. Stephon Gilmore hugged Patrick Mahomes after the game and then Gilmore was positive. So you put Mahomes at risk. I, and I'm sure there's other situations and I think the NFL is going to kind of keep going until they get burned. And, and hopefully that doesn't happen. Uh, because, of course, the player safety is uh, of the utmost importance. But it, it's been rough. And from a fantasy perspective, it's been very tough because we have been dealing not only with COVID, but the injuries have been unbelievable. And I know there's injuries every single NFL season, but I feel like the injuries to some of the top names has been uh, a little bit a little bit more voluminous uh, this season, right? I mean, Christian McCaffrey has been in and out. Uh, he's banged up again. Uh, Michael Thomas just came back this past week and week nine. I mean, there's been so many injuries. There are probably half a dozen backfields this weekend. I have no idea who's going to start. I have no idea who's going to lead the team in snaps. I have no idea who's going to lead the team in touches because it's a mess. I mean, a practice squad player last week, Kalen Balage, was a, a top, a top five, top ten running back, and no one saw it coming. So it's been a challenge. Yeah, I mean, you lay out the names there. You just named a few, but uh, hypothetically speaking, the top running back, the top wide receiver, and if you include George Kittle as the top tight end, <laughs> you know, right. it's been a tough go for essentially your first-round draft picks this year. And you're right. It's getting harder and harder to assess the waiver wire, to assess who's going to be that next man up because everybody's just kind of operating in a committee right now. Even a couple of quarterback positions are operating in a committee right now. So it's, it's, it's unique for sure. Look, we're at that fun time, though. I mean, everybody's making a playoff push, uh, you know, in reality and in fantasy world here. The, here's what I want to start in terms of just getting into the, the nerdiness of this. How much, <laughs> how much did Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell affect their respective teams from a fantasy perspective? Immensely, and not for, not for the better either. I mean, think about it. Clyde Edwards-Solaire was a top 12 running back before Kansas City added Le'Veon Bell. Since they added Le'Veon Bell... Neither one of them has been any good. I mean, the glide got into the end zone last week, but let's be honest, the numbers have not been great. And, and but not a single wide receiver in Tampa Bay did anything. I mean, that was a disaster. That whole game was a nightmare. But it's great for Tom Brady, maybe not last week, but it's, it's really been a scenario in uh, Tampa Bay now where you're not sure what back to start every week. And you're really not sure what wide receiver is going to put up the best numbers on a regular basis. Maybe it's going to be Evans one week. It'll be AB another week. It'll be Godwin another week. Gronkowski might get into the mix too. And it's all good for Tom Brady, but from a fantasy perspective, it's a nightmare. And then the backfield is the same kind of thing. When Leonard Fournette was out, Ronald Jones was, was dealing. He was great. You know, hundred yards every week. And then Fournette comes back and suddenly Rojo is back in a committee 
and Fournette's been the better back over the last two weeks. And this is, it's not even just the Buccaneers. This is uh, teams across the board. I mean, look at the Colts. We all love Jonathan Taylor. Guess what? Jordan Wilkins has been the better back the last two games, and their wide receiver core is a nightmare. T.Y. Hilton is, is, is coming back, but, I mean, even when he was active, he wasn't doing anything. So it's been tough. It's been very tough. It's been challenging. It'll be a year that we're going to remember for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, you named a couple of rookie running backs there. Let's go down that rabbit hole because I don't think it's been great. I, I, it's kind of been a disaster, right? I mean, you mentioned Taylor, who's had a couple of maybe above average weeks, but not much. He certainly hasn't broken, you know, broken out yet. Mm-hmm. J.K. Dobbins is nothing. I mean, just nothing. You know, Swift has been, uh, you know, <laughs> that's probably correct. Cam Akers is third string on that team right now. For, uh, A.J. Dillon, obviously, for injuries and COVID. Zach Moss has been decent. Uh, you know, it, it takes me at least middle of the second round to get to a running back who's making a difference right now, and that's Antonio Gibson on, on Washington. Uh, is this calculated? Is this Is this a situation where... Because of the short shelf life on these running backs, especially the veterans, teams feel more obligated. It just it's it's just easier to play the guy with the you know with with more mileage on him right now and 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 let him walk off into the sunset, knowing you've got this cost controlled under contract rookie that you can kind of wait for year two to explode and let him out of the out of the out of the cage. Do you think it's calculated or is this just just a fluky situation? Here here's here's what I think. Most of the running backs who got drafted. Uh, who were on the uh, upper echelon of the 2020 class landed on teams that already had incumbent starters. Mm-hmm. And so that messed things up. So for example, like Clyde Edwards Hilaire was a top eight pick because he was going to be the guy in Kansas city when Damian Williams opted out. Well, then they went and added Le'Veon Bell and that goofed everything up. James Robinson's been great. James Robinson scored 150 points. He's averaging nearly 19 a game. And he was the last guy anybody was drafting when we were talking about rookie running backs. Antonio Gibson's been pretty good. He's not been great. DeAndre Swift is not averaging enough touches per game to really be a weekly RB2. He's more of a flex because Adrian Peterson's not going away. Jonathan Taylor is averaging 13 points a game, but the last two weeks it's been Jordan Wilkins. J.K. Dobbins, I feel like, is just a lack of opportunity. And I like him this week against New England, assuming Mark Ingram does not play. But once Ingram comes back, that thing's a mess. We like Joshua Kelly to maybe take over the Melvin Gordon role in Los Angeles. I mean, it happened early on in the season, and now, you know, they played Kalen Milaje over him last week, and he's a practice squad player. Uh, Zach Moss, I think he could end up being uh, a useful asset down the stretch because Devin Singletary is clearly the number uh, two back from a fantasy perspective there, but that's a committee. So all these running backs that we were talking about who got drafted so highly they all landed on teams where there was going to be competition and coaches clearly don't care about our fantasy football teams and they're going committee. Like Frank Reich has gone hot hand in Indianapolis. So at this point, it's really like throwing darts. It really is. Yeah. And somehow James Robinson and Damian Harris are going to come out of this season. as probably the names to watch, which is just ridiculous. Um, yeah. Let's yeah. flip to the wide receivers a little bit here. You know, I think the usual suspects, the people that we kind of knew, at, at least from a rookie standpoint, uh, are at least holding their own. You know, Jerry Judy's starting to make that step forward. He, he's going to be something, I think. It's probably already too late to consider him if you don't have him at this point. But I, I got a list of four guys here. 
just kind of give me your thoughts. Uh, you know, maybe I'm not even thinking about 2020. Maybe you know, we've got a big dynasty audience. Maybe I'm thinking more about do I shell out a draft pick to bring one of these guys in for 2021 because it might be good value for me down the road. Uh, you know, Higgins, uh, everything about that Bengals offense just seems to be one step away. Like they're going to make a, a big step forward in 2021. I would imagine the Burrow-Higgins matchup is going to be nice, right? I Yes. I, I mean, I, I, number one, you're talking about Higgins. I thought that when they drafted him, he was going to be the A.J. Green of the future, and they were going to have that triplets with Burrow, Higgins, and Nixon. And Tyler Boyd is one of the most underrated wide receivers in fantasy football, but Higgins has a shot to really be a pretty solid number one wide receiver here for a long, long time in an offense under Zach Taylor that is going to throw the football. Yeah, I think he's going to be the real deal next year. So it's probably a decent time to throw a draft pick out there for him. Claypool kind of showed us what he can be, but can he be that consistently? And also let me preface the fact that Juju Smith-Schuster's contract is up. So is he going to be the guy next year? Well, also keep in mind, I mean, Ben Roethlisberger's, you know, he's getting up there, right? So when you're talking about dynasty, how many years uh, do we have a Roethlisberger left? You know, I don't know, maybe two, uh, maybe max two. So, and... Claypool's been great, but I mean, they've got a lot of miles to feed, right? I mean, Deontay Johnson's been the most targeted wide receiver on a per game basis in Pittsburgh. So, and he's young. That could be a hell of a combo. I don't know what the future of Juju Smith-Schuster holds there in Pittsburgh, but a lot of it depends on, on big Ben. I mean, like, you know, think about new Orleans. Where will Michael Thomas be ranked next year? If Drew Brees is gone. I, I, is Jameis going to be the quarterback? Is he going to be Taysom Hill? A lot of question marks there uh, uh, with some of these wide receivers, uh, including uh, the, the trio there in Pittsburgh. And then Juju's contract situation where maybe he's back, maybe he's not, uh, is going to be another question that needs to be answered here. But I feel like the rookie wide receivers, like CeeDee Lamb was on his, on, on his way to having a great year, and then yeah. the, the sky fell in Dallas, right? Justin Jarvison has really shown some flashes. But the Vikings throw the ball very little. And so that's that's hurt him from a consistency standpoint. So when Dalvin Cook is rolling for 203 touchdowns, they don't need to throw the football, right? Uh, Kirk Cousins had 13 completions last week. They just happened to be three for touchdowns, but none of them went to Justin Jefferson. Uh, Judy, I feel like if he had a really good quarterback, would be even better. Mm-hmm. Brandon Ayuk's been pretty good. You know, LaVisca Chenault, I think, is going to end up being the number two in Jacksonville at some point down the line. So, I mean, we've seen some pretty good performances from rookie wide receivers. We're still looking to see what Jalen Rieger is going to bring to the table and Michael Pittman, for example. But overall, this this has been a more productive group than the running backs, uh, the first-year running backs. Yeah, no, outside of James Robinson. no question. And, and you hit on it. The, the quarterback carousel is going to be everything, right? I mean, yeah. if what if Kenny, Kenny Galladay doesn't have Matt Stafford? What if... Julio Jones doesn't have Matt Ryan. I, there can be a lot of impact. Henry Ruggs and Derek Carr. There could be just so much turnover this offseason at that position yep. that's going to trickle down to everybody. It's just going to be safer to go running back again, isn't it? Even though we have no idea what to do there. <laughs> right. Yeah. No question about that. And when you're looking ahead to 2021 drafts, running backs are, they may be even more important. Right. And I would think that, so I'll give you an example. If Ingram is gone in Baltimore, J.K. Dobbins could be a top 20 pick. Of course. Right. Uh, depending on what happens in Indianapolis, Jonathan Taylor could be a top 20 pick next year, right? So, so maybe some of these young running backs are kind of feeling the way around the league and then they'll, they'll sort of bust out uh, in their second NFL season. But we are finding out, and a lot of us are finding out the hard way, a lot of folks out there are desperate for running backs. There's nothing to be had unless you make a trade. It is bare on the waiver wire in most leagues. 
Yeah, that's exactly why we're ha- having this talk. I'm trying to help myself here. Uh, I'm a McCaffrey owner, of course, so it's not going well. The uh, Let's finish on a couple of quick questions here. The tight end position, is it, is it a mess because of injuries or has have the tides kind of changed here a little bit, Michael? So there were a bunch of guys coming into the season that we all thought could be like the sleeper breakout types. Mm-hmm. TJ Hawkinson was one of them, and he's done well. He's averaging about 13 a game. No offense, another one. He's been a little up and down, but he hasn't been bad, right? And now that Albert O, I am not going to try to pronounce his last name, um, is out, <laughs> there should be more targets for fan. But Johnny Smith looked really good. looked like he was trending towards being a top-five guy, and then he's fallen off a cliff the last three weeks. And Ian Thomas hasn't done the job. I mean, boy, you want to Chris Herndon, I mean, what the hell happened to him? I mean, he's, mm-hmm. he's been an absolute nightmare, right? So I think part of it is, You've had injuries, right? You know, George Kittle. The Ravens' passing game has been a disaster. I mean, Lamar Jackson was on the Rich Eisen show this week saying that defenses are calling out their plays before they run them. That happened to Greg Roman in San Francisco, too, with Colin Kaepernick. That's not good. So uh, the position overall has been far less uh, productive, and injuries have had a a part to do with it. The the decline of the Ravens' passing game uh, and Mark Andrews has been a part of it. And you're also seeing, I do feel like, though, we could see a little uptick over the second half. Dallas Goddard could end up being very useful for fantasy fans down the stretch, right? And uh, as long as Zach Hurts is out. And then Austin Hooper, too. Coming back from the appendectomy, no OBJ, targets could be there for him. So you you could see the position become a little bit more reliable down the stretch. But, yeah, it it has been a train wreck. I mean, at this point, if you're getting nine points from your tight end, you're, you're literally thrilled because outside of Travis Kelsey, there's, there's not much to like there. Uh, you know, Darren Waller has been very good. Uh, other than that, it's been, it's been a nightmare. Yeah. Kelsey's gap is gigantic this year. It's just, uh, it's kind of embarrassing. Kelsey's he's sick. He's sick. Yeah. Just ridiculously. He is so much better than every other tight end in the league right now because Kittle's out. It's, it's not even close. When does that fall off the cliff? Does he have Kelsey? Yeah. Does he have a couple more good years here? They're going to have to probably restructure, you know? Yeah, I mean, right. He, I mean, he's in his early 30s. So I, I think he's got another, you know, strong year or two coming in. But, I mean, we've seen tight ends thrive late in their careers when they are elite. Tony Gonzalez was very good throughout his career. Antonio Gates was very good throughout his career. You know, Shannon Sharp. And I'm talking about these elite guys because that's where Kelsey is. He's right. an elite player. So I, I still think he's got, yeah, a few more years minimum uh, left. As long as Patrick Mahomes is throwing him the football, hell, I mean, that's 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 good enough reason to keep him number one. All right, let's finish on the quarterbacks because what else matters, right? The uh, Let's start with the young guys, actually. Where are you with Baker? I mean, just kind of quick and dirty. <laughs> Not a fan. Not a fan. No, of, have you uh, ever been? Is it kind of a biased decision? No. I, I got to be honest with you. I like a lot of fantasy analysts out there, I fell into the trap last year mm-hmm. and I had Baker in my top 10 uh, because of the addition of OBJ and a lot of excitement around Cleveland. And he looked good as a rookie. I mean, let's, let's not get things twisted. He looked pretty good as a rookie. So uh, I thought, well, now you got the pieces around you. You got the same coordinator slash coach. Okay. Uh, I'm in, I'll take a chance on Baker. But what I saw last year was a guy who albeit the offensive line wasn't very good. Uh, seemed to regress. And now the Browns did what? They brought in Conklin. 
you know, they 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 drafted, uh, you know, they, they drafted um, offensive line help, mm-hmm. and so Baker really didn't have excuses, okay? And he still hadn't been that good, right? I mean, his best game came without Odell Beckham Jr., which is crazy, right? I mean, he had what five touchdowns in that game, but I mean, Cincinnati is the only team he's any good against, <laughs> right? Like, like honestly, I mean, look at his numbers. Like, he's been very good against the Bengals, and you know, not all that great against anybody else. So, uh, for Baker. I don't know if he if he can't get things together uh, in the next year and a half because I don't know that the Browns are going to go and invest in a quarterback, uh, you know, in the draft coming up in 2021. But if he doesn't get his, you know, what together, you could see Baker Mayfield uh, elsewhere or playing a backup role. Because remember what they say about the NFL: it stands for not for long if you're not producing. And while the Browns are contending for a playoff berth. I still don't feel like they're a good enough team to really contend for much more than maybe uh, a first round exit in the playoffs. Yeah. And we're going to know what they think by next May, because that fifth year option decision comes next May and it's new now it's new. It fully guarantees on that decision. So I I think they, they're probably trending toward a no on that right now, which means they're, you know, this is a big showcase right now. Here's my fantasy situation. I'll finish on this. This is literally yeah. this is literally what I have in, in, in a dynasty league going forward. I have Drew Brees, Teddy Bridgewater, and Baker Mayfield. A- am I starting Teddy Bridgewater in 2021? You might be. He's been pretty good. Yeah. I mean, he's at the Chiefs game. He looked very good, but now he loses McCaffrey again for at least a week. But Robbie Anderson's become a, a very good receiver. Another guy who leaves the clutches of Adam Gase and turns into a, a very <laughs> productive player. You know, Curtis Samuel's been good. DJ Moore's kind of disappeared, but Carolina suddenly has a lot of weapons there in that offense. And so, I mean, Teddy's not going to be, you know, a 20-point guy every single week, but he's, you know, he's going to average, you know, 17, 18, and he's going to give you some pretty pretty big performances, which he's done uh, so far this year. Yeah, Breeze, who knows what's going to happen with him. I, I would say if the Saints make it and win the Super Bowl or get to the Super Bowl, he may be gone, maybe right off into the sunset. But that, – <laughs> You're uh, you're probably riding on, riding on Bridgewater and, and and maybe hoping you can get Trevor Lawrence, <laughs> you know, in, in your rookie redraft. But the good thing is that there's a lot of good college quarterbacks yeah. that are going to be, be coming out. Uh, so you know maybe you could be able to rebuild from there. Yeah, sounds good. Where can we hear you? So uh, si.com/fantasy. You can check out Stardom and Sidham every single week. The original, the one and only Stardom and Sidham. Uh, Corey Parson and I do the si fantasy uh, uh, podcast. You can find that on Mondays and Thursdays. We just recorded it this morning. Uh, my player rankings are also on si.com slash fantasy. And Monday through Friday, 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern, Fantasy Dirt on Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio. Uh, we talk a lot of fantasy football, but we also bring in a lot of celebrities. We've got Jerry Cantrell and Mike Inez from Allison Chains on the show tonight. Uh, and it's always fun to bring in uh, celebs who love and play fantasy football. So, Make sure you check that show out again, uh, Fantasy Dirt, with uh, myself, Bob Harris, Mike Dempsey, 8 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday on Sirius 210XM87. You're the best, man. Enjoy week 10. You too. Thanks. All right. My thanks to Cousin Dan. Bring in the Trevor Bauer heat. No pun intended. I thanks to Michael Fabiano, of course, the fantasy expert. We love having him on the show. It's about time to get more updates on that as the trade deadlines approach for many of your leagues out there. My thanks to The Athletic. Visit theathletic.com slash SpotTrack, S-P-O-T-R-A-C, for 40% off your first year subscription. My name is Mike Gennetti. Thanks for listening to this edition of the SpotTrack Podcast. 